yesterday, and and um, we we have the church has lost something. Society has lost something in losing Ravi. Just truly, truly, truly a great man of God. Um, born and raised in India, wasn't a Christian, and then got saved as a um, as a later as a, as he was an adult. And uh, and just what that meant, and his testimony, and everything, just just huge. Now I I do see where God always raises people up, though. Um, he always he always has people that he's going to use and do things with, and and uh, and that's where the, that's where. And I am and I'm kind of kind of talk about this a little bit tonight, but I'm going to actually talk about this over the next couple of weeks a little bit more, kind of continue with the same vein of thought, but. What does it mean for God to really call us and use us? And what does it mean for us to respond to that? That's the key is to respond. Uh, I believe that, that God has his call on many, many people's lives to do so many different things. When I say God's call on his life, back when I was a kid, that meant you had to be a missionary or a pastor. That's not what I mean. What I mean by God has his call on our life is that he, is, he's, he has a specific plan for it. He set you apart before you were born to be a voice of prophecy to the nations. Before you were born, he sanctified you. He set you apart. He has a plan for you. And I believe he has a plan for every single one of us. The, the trick is listening. Because if, if, if we go by the kind of the normal church thinking, we think that the call has to be something like very specific and in front of people and all this kind of stuff. And, and it doesn't. It, it's, um, it's unique for all of us. God has a specific, unique path, direction, steps to take, things to do, things to learn, understand, that will always put you um, in people's lives and in the place where God needs you to be able to be used. That's, that's God's call on our life. And to figure that out and to listen to it and to follow it, I really believe that is the pursuit of humanity. I, I really do believe that is our challenge. That's our life pursuit is, God, what do you want? What do you, where, what do you want with me? Uh, what do you want to do with me? What do you, how do you want to use me? But... but um, in, in our Western society, we have so um, trained ourselves for the, the pursuit. And, and again, this is, I mean, I, I was talking about it a little bit this last weekend. We, we have trained ourselves so much for the pursuit of happiness, which is a freedom that we have, that we actually miss that happiness. Well, if you, if you want to change the word from happiness to joy, right? Happiness is relative. And when that, that term, when that term was, was penned 300 years ago in the pursuit of happiness, um, it was actually something else, and it was changed pursuit of happiness. But when that was penned, happiness didn't mean the same thing as it does today. Today it, it is, if I am enjoying this moment to the best of my ability. That's not what it is. So let's use the word joy for the pursuit of joy. Um, oftentimes in, a, in Western society, we have so much at our disposal that we pursue happiness instead of joy, and we find happiness, but we don't find joy. We never find joy. Uh, Ravi Zacharias said something, uh, the first time I heard him say this was 20 years ago plus, and he said in the 1970s, um, in the 1970s, we replaced joy, I'm sorry, in the 1970s, we replaced um, joy with sex, and nobody told him there was a difference. And then he said, 1970s, we replace love with sex, and nobody told us there was a difference. That the, you understand the, the, the power of that statement, of what that means across our society? I was, I was having this conversation <clears throat> with my kids. 
Uh, so you guys know my son got married a few weeks back, almost two months ago now. It's such a, they're old married people now. But um, so I get to do the, the um, pre-married counseling because, well, I'm not going to marry if you don't. And so then they got married all of a sudden because of the, the Ronas. And, uh, and we had to, to do, so I'm doing the pre-married counseling afterwards. And I I'm found I'm doing it a little differently. So it's usually like an hour and an hour and a half, and I'm going like, seven hours straight on each one of them, but, um, you know, I was even talking to them about this, although my kids have heard stuff like this out of my mouth all their lives, I was telling them, I said, you know, the, the, biggest, the biggest thing that we have in, in uh, Western society, and specifically in America, is we do not know what intimacy is, but everybody knows what sex is. We don't know what true intimacy is, we don't know what true depth of, of, of relationship and communication and and most of my experience in 30 years of counseling with people is right around 20 to 25 years of marriage, they start waking up and going, wait a second, is there more to this? Can we know each other better? Can we, you know, we're not, and usually it's verbalized by something else. It's verbalized by, this is not the person I married. Well, you're 50 pounds heavier too, so this is, I don't know if I love them anymore, and all the different things that we say, right? And what they're saying is, Something in our hearts, our minds, or something is not right. Something's not jiving. Something's not clicking. It's not connecting. And usually that 20, 25 years is also um, around the same time what else happens? Kids start leaving. Well, that's what they told us. We haven't. <laughs> They've told us that's out there, that little brass ring is, but <laughs> no. Um, I only have one child in home left, and uh, we're praying university opens back up. No, I, I actually love, I joke about that all the time, you know, but I love having my kids there. I don't know if it's, I don't know what the difference is, but I love having my kids there. I don't care if my kids live there my whole life. I really don't care. I like having my daughter specifically. Me and my daughter are best friends. And, uh, and, and she is, she is so, my, all my children are funny. Um, they, they, got, they got a lot of stuff from Linda and I. got funny from me. They got loud from Linda. There's a lot of things that, that my kids have, but my daughter is the funniest. You don't know that unless you're around her. Unless you're around her a lot, you don't realize she is so hilarious. She's so, so funny. And uh, so her and I have a really good time. We like to just go and hang out and things like that. And, but, but the idea that, um, that, that somehow... Uh, why was I saying all that? Somebody remind me. We don't remember. Yeah, but why did I go there? Okay, so, <laughs> oh yeah, I remember. I remember. Uh, so the, the concept of intimacy really is lost on, on I, I would say it actually began to be lost on my generation. It, it didn't, it's not, it's not like the millennials don't have a clue what intimacy my generation does. Guys, we, we, we didn't either. And I don't know, maybe if I, you know, had a long discussion with my, my parents or my grandparents, they're, they're gone now, but maybe, maybe I would understand better. Maybe nobody does. But, but the, the difference is, is that previous generations, sexuality was not so blatant. We've lost the idea of intimacy, and that, that directly relates to our relationship with God. We don't, we don't really, it's difficult for us in, in Western society understand love really what love is and and 
we really, we, we don't have, an, and this, this, by the way, can be proved fairly simply statistically. We don't really know what commitment is, to really commit. A couple things, if you back up 50 years, a couple things that were part of society at that point, was somebody got a job and they pretty much stayed in that job all their life. You may have made one or two job changes, that was about it, right? I know that for the now generation, that, that, would, that would feel like prison, right? But you got a good job. And this was coming, this was the, the generation, my parents' generation were the children of the Depression. And, and to, to say, you know what, we need a good job, we need to provide for the family. Benefits were a big deal, health insurance and all that kind of stuff. Um, it, uh, things have switched now. And, and by the way, you stayed married forever, too. Your whole life. Nowadays, jobs, the long-tenure jobs are about two to three years long. The average person switches jobs every three years. That's kind of weird for me. When I first became a youth pastor back in 1990, the statistics said that the average youth pastor stays in their position about two and a half to three years, and then they're gone. And I remember at that time thinking, that is so quick. That is so quick, which, by the way, my, my, first, my first youth pastor position, I was there 11 months, but that's a different story. The next two, I was there between two and a half, three years. And I thought, man, this is such a short time frame. Um, the average pastor, lead pastor of a church now, stays less than three years. Lead pastor. The average youth pastor, any ideas? Seven months. Seven months. Average youth pastor, seven months. They didn't even... They didn't get their stuff unpacked in seven months. But that's kind of the thing. Now look at um, marriages. How long is the average marriage? I mean, how many, percentage-wise, how many marriages end in divorce? Any ideas? Paul, you're kind of up on this. Any, any numbers? It's about 68% of all marriages end in divorce right now. The second marriage, their second marriage, statistically, you know what they, what the numbers are? It's over 80%. Can you imagine that? By the time you get to third, fourth, by the way, by the time you get to third or fourth, you might want to look in the mirror. It's just a suggestion. I had this secretary years ago that was complaining, complaining about her husband. It was her fourth husband. Complaining about her husband. And I, being 24 I thought she wanted my advice. And so <laughs> she was just complaining, complaining, complaining. It was actually my secretary's daughter, I think. And, um, and she's complaining, complaining. And I finally told her, I said, here's the thing. If you're on your fourth marriage, it might be you. We, we, we were never friends after that. <laughs> she more than hated me after that. But we really weren't friends before that. Which is why I felt comfortable saying that <laughs> out loud. <laughs> so, so why am I saying, is this Chick-fil-A? You know I don't like Chick-fil-A. Oh, I do like Chick-fil-A. I just, I'm, I'm just kind of an anti-everything, so when the whole church embraces Chick-fil-A, I'm like, devil chicken, that's what that is. But <laughs> Um, so, so the reason I'm saying all of this is, 
I think we're missing a major, a major, major proponent in our Christian walk. And, and again, of course, I've been beating this drum um, like crazy for the last two or three months, but I really believe the reason that we are where we are at as a country, the reason, you know, people keep saying, well, this, uh, this whole quarantine, it's not political, it's just a health thing. We're trying to help the country. It's just, okay, then do this. Riddle me this. Why are all the states that are pulling out of this red states and all the states that are saying we're going to be in it for another six months are blue states? If it's not political and it's just about the health of the people, this, this, is, this is a political racket that we're in. So, so the reason that we can, let's put all that aside, the reason that we can be so easily deceived and taken into something like this and then the church at large embrace it, which means we're deceived. Now, I, I still have uh, church people, Christians, that argue with this with me all the time. I, that's why I just literally cleared most of my Facebook, because I'm, I don't want to do this. I'm tired of this. In fact, we had a, there was a big meeting in town this week that I was invited to that was with lawyers and church leaders that were saying, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna sue Governor Polis. I'm 100% behind that, 100%. But I didn't go to it because I don't want the discussion. I don't want the stuff. I don't want the, all the people that are going to be there saying we're endangering people's lives. I'm, I'm tired. I'm literally sick of this. My, I'm sick in my stomach and my soul and my head of this, that the church could be so easily deceived when this was our moment to stand up and be that voice. We are supposed to be the voice of prophecy, the voice of God to the, the world, that's what the church is specifically called to. And we have not. And here's part of the reason. I really believe this is part of the reason. All the things I've been talking about. Really understanding what love is and understanding um, commitment and understanding intimacy and those kind of things. Those are the parts of, of Christianity that we really, really struggle with. We don't struggle with the party. We don't struggle with the excitement. We don't struggle with all the stuff. We, we just... We just, we just do all of that. That's what we spend all our time. The, 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 the picture in my head has always been the uh, picture of the, of the tem temple. Start with the tabernacle and then the temple, where you've got the outer courts, the inner courts, and the holy of holies and this kind of thing. It doesn't work exactly. Um, but this is the thing. In the outer courts, everybody's praising, and, and it's like a party. Exciting, shouting, all kinds of stuff. And the inner courts is where people begin to move in and, and worship. And as you begin to move in and worship, you, you become um, convicted and repentive. Because intimacy always brings that. And, and, I, and I believe very strongly the reason the church shies away from intimacy is because we, we are scared to death of conviction. True Holy Spirit conviction. When Isaiah said, take the coals, um, or, or he said, my lips are unclean, and the angel took the coals and touched his and, and, and seared his lips. We're, we're scared of that moment. We're scared of the, yeah, I don't want to get burned on the lips, but you understand what I'm saying. We're scared of the intimacy moment. We're scared of the moment when we open our spiritual eyes, and we look at ourselves, we look at our soul, we look at our life, and we come up short. We're scared of that. We, 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 we run from it. And so what we've done in the church is we've, we've taken those worship times when they could be really profound worship times, and we've changed them into very musically flowing lyrics with lights and special effects and smoke and everything else times. So we can hide, so we can truly hide from the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And we think we can hide. We think we can hide in the dark. 
This is one of the things I've never understood about churches is why do we turn all the lights off? Now, obviously, here we don't. We never will. In fact, one of our board members years ago, I'm not going to tell you who he is. He's moving back here in a few weeks. But, but, uh, but he said, uh, this was years ago, he said, if we ever go to lights and smoke machines, I'm out of here. And I was fairly new here. And I said, I'm right with you. That's not going to be who we are. Because why? I, these sounds like little things. These sound like little bitty things. But when you add them all together and all together, we have actually created something that's not real. Something simple like when we're worshiping, I need to be able to look across the room and watch you worship. Well, that's embarrassing. I don't want anybody to see me cry or whatever. Guess what? The people that won't cry in the light are the people that won't cry in the dark either. The people that don't worship in the light are people that, that won't worship in the dark either. Because it's a soul thing. That's a heart thing. That's, a, that's who we are. That Who we are comes out in those moments. And, and worshiping takes us into very, very deep, serious things as individuals. And then it takes us into very deep, serious things as, as a body. And those are very important times. Those are very, very important times. And, and so we turn off all the lights and put a bunch of smoke and a bunch of lights and turn the music up real loud and do all the stuff so that we can't see that, so that we can't actually experience it. And then we're so caught up in the, in the, in the music and in the motion and everything else that it's actually difficult for us to, to get into the presence of God, to really get into his presence, and to say, God, I just, I need you more than anything. Um, <clears throat> so we haven't done this around here in a while. I'm not doing it tonight. I'm just setting up what we're doing here is, um, but I did have this conversation with my pastors in India um, this, uh, this last week. The, um, the, the, this is an exercise that I've done with our, with our church here, and, we've, and I've done it for years now, is every one of us here, just listen and, and think about what I'm saying. You'll, you'll immediately understand what I'm saying, and you'll have your words. But we have, every one of us have about four or five go-to worship words. Right? You, you understand what I'm saying? When you're praying or when you're worshiping, you have the same four or five words. That's not bad. There's nothing wrong with that. That's, that's how you're expressing. That's part of the language that you have learned over the years to do that with or whatever. But what happens in the process of that is without trying to, we begin to, because we do it verbally, we do it emotionally, we do it, we do it in every way possible. Um, you, 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 you're, you will also have the same basic place that you like to go to to worship God. Right? Or you will have um, um, same basic worship songs that you like to put on to worship God. Okay, there's nothing wrong with that. The problem is, is every one of those things potentially dig ruts and, and lock you in. And what happens is, is without trying to, these, this is good, solid, I'm talking healthier of the healthy Christians, okay? The fact that, that I'm saying that you probably have a devotion life means you're, you're different than most Christians. Let's just own that, Okay. But what happens is, is you, be, you become part of the routine without realizing you become part of the routine. And now you're in a routine that, that begins to slowly pull uh, the elements of what the Holy Spirit's trying to do. It's, it's much more difficult to hear the Lord when you're in routine than when you're not. It's difficult. You look through the stories in the Bible. The times when they heard the Lord more, the most clearly is when they were... Uh, out of their zone, okay? Even, even so far as being on a ship on the way to a different city rather than Nineveh, you can hear God. Right about the time they pick you up to throw you overboard, you're hearing God very well. As they're dragging the three Hebrew children to the 
fiery furnace, you're hearing God well. It sounded bold when you were standing in front of the king earlier and saying, we will not bow to you. Even if, you, even if the Lord doesn't rescue us, we will not bow to you. I'm like, okay, to the furnace. What? That was quick. Could we talk about this? Well, you know, something. And we've got these things where all of a sudden, all of a sudden, we're, we're put into a place where we hear God better. Routine wrote and all that kind of stuff. So, so the exercise that I've done is take the, the words that you normally, and you could quickly assess these. You've already assessed it, as I said it. The four or five words that you normally use when you're worshiping God. Write those down and, and spend a, t- a little bit of time worshiping and talking to God without using those words at all. You talk about, first it's difficult, you're like, but it's, it's, it's reality. And then all of a sudden, things begin to birth within you. Things begin to roll through your mind and your spirit. Because why? Now you're thinking of God differently. You're processing this differently. I've had this happen when people want to uh, re-up for marriage. What do we call that? <laughs> Renew your vows. Yeah, military is re-upping. That's, and that's totally different. Um, <laughs> so... So when you, when you renew your vows, those kind of things, and, uh, and, you, and I've said this to, to couples, I've done a lot of vow renewals over the years, and you say this to couples, okay, I want you to write your own vows. Mm-hmm. What? I have done hundreds of weddings over the years, hundreds, can't count them all. And every single time the couple says, yeah, we're going to write our own vows, and they never do. The very first time, that I ever had a, a wedding where they did their, wrote, wrote their own vows was just a couple months ago. And it was Linda Eldridge's son. They wrote their own vows. Of course, they're both 40. I'm sure that plays into it. But, but why? Because we don't, we don't express, we don't, first we don't understand intimacy we don't express intimacy very well. Why? Because we, we struggle even understanding. We struggle going to God in intimacy. We struggle in letting the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is a very intimate, intimate uh, spiritual part of the, the Trinity. Very intimate. And, and the Holy Spirit is the one who brings us into the presence of God. You can't get there any other way. And, and what, what we've learned to do is keep the Holy Spirit at arm's distance so that we can interact with God on our terms. And so this is, this is the way I've talked about it with prayer. Or with anything. You take, take your life, whatever's in your life right now, that's, that's good or bad. Let, let's go to the things that are a struggle, okay? Whatever's going on in your life that's a struggle. Relationship, finances, workplace, um, whatever. What we do without trying to is we create our existence in our own image. Instead of allowing the God that created us in his image take those issues in those moments and, and develop those in his image, which is the way he designed us. Okay? What, what do I mean by that? When you come across an issue, finances, let's say, you're praying, you're stressing, you're, you're, everything's crumbling, you're, you're stressing. You, you can sit down and come up with your own plan. That's praying to yourself, if you want to use that terminology. And you've created that in your own image. Or you can go to the God who created all finances. Every finance, every currency, everything. He created. You can go to him and you can say, God, what do you want me to do? Now you're lying the one who created you in his image to create this, to, 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 to take this issue into his image. Put it in his kingdom and he's king over it. Instead of you being king over it, creating it in your image. And we, and we do this systematically. 
through all of the things of our life. Instead of going to God and immediately submitting and surrendering to, to God, we go to ourselves and we reach inside and we try to figure out the answer. How, how do I know that's so prevalent? That is, a, that is totally how I'm wired. I can figure it out. I can figure it out. I just had a conversation with somebody a couple of weeks ago that wanted to give me something, give me a gift, something. And, uh, and I told him no. He said, I want to do this. And I said, no. And a few days later, I was telling this to my wife and my daughter at dinner. And they both just immediately jumped all over me and said, how dare you do that? Who, who are you? He wanted to do this for you. Plus, they're going to get some benefit from it. But they, he wanted to do this for you, and you told him no. I said, I don't like, I don't like it when people do other things. I don't like it when other people do things for me. Except that I get irritated when people don't let me do things for them. Right? And so I went back to this guy and I apologized. And I said, my wife and my daughter set me straight. And he said, what did they say? And I said, they said I was being an idiot and that I was being arrogant. And he said, those are the exact two words I was thinking. And he's right. Because I can do it myself. I don't need anybody else. I can do it all myself. Guys, that's building our, our world in our image. Instead of submitting and going... To the Father. So 2 Chronicles 7.14. Somebody tell me what that says. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then he will hear from heaven and he will hear the land. So I've been processing this because I've talked about a few weeks ago, I talked about humility, the concept of humility, and, and I've talked about prayer some over the last few months. And I've definitely talked about turn from our, our wicked ways, but I want to I look at the idea of seek his face. What does that really mean? Seek his face. Th that's an interesting statement to me because you don't know what his face looks like. Right? And how people say, well, it looks a lot like us because we're creating his image. Guys, this is important. When we're talking about creating the image of God, it's important to understand that the, the way that we are created in God's image physically is the least, okay? We're creating his image way more spiritually. It starts with spiritually and just kind of works down, you know, emotionally, mentally, and stuff. Physically, we're created the least like him. Now, all of these things are fallen, which, which again, if you go back to the garden, I believe that Adam and Eve have perfect bodies, and they were never going to not be perfect bodies. They were never going to not be skinny. Well, not skinny is not the right word, because I don't think that's perfect. That's today's society's mentality of perfect. I think God likes a little meat on his people's bones. I think I'm right in the zone. I don't care what the, the doctor... Why are you guys laughing? Um, but, but health issues and all that... They weren't going to have any of those. They weren't going to have any of that kind of stuff. So, so if you want to say Adam and Eve, I think they were created in his image the most. But really, you can go down the line, physically, emotionally, everything. Once they sinned, everything began to be corroded. Everything began to be torn down and... And um, attacked and, 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 you know, sin, evil, darkness, the spiritual mold get in there, all that kind of stuff. So what does God's face look like? We don't know. You don't know. I don't know. We know that, um, that um, Nebuchadnezzar got to see his hand. Was it Nebuchadnezzar? Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar. Got to see his hand. But, and, and Isaiah got to see... 
it's, it, some people translate it that Isaiah got to see the back of the Lord. I don't think that's what he got to see. I think the way the scripture says in Isaiah 6 is he got to see the afterglow of the effects of the back of the Lord. God walked by, and then later Isaiah saw like the sparklies going out. He didn't see God's back, I think, according to that scripture. But we see different things where, where you, get to, you get to see like body parts, you know, kind of thing. But, but we don't know what God's face looked like. And then he says, well, but you've got to seek his face. And apparently that's different than praying. Seeking his face is different than praying. So, so what does it mean, seek his face? What does it mean to you, seek his face? I'll wait here. Okay, I would, I would definitely include that in that description. Just a desire to know him more. Yes, ma'am. Well, they might have been afraid to look at you. <laughs> no, that's, that's true. That's that. When, when Lynn and I first got married, she was very adamant about that the only way that she could talk to me is if I was looking right at her. Over time, we figured out that's not necessary. Same thing. Yeah, something simple like I'll just use this. You could you could use twenty different other examples, but um, if I can put my forehead against Linda's forehead and it's not awkward for either one of us, it's not weird or anything. But I'm never ever going to do that with another woman. <laughs> I have no reason whatsoever to put my forehead against another woman's forehead, or a dude, by the way. So <laughs> that is how they say hi. Yeah, and men hold hands in different countries around the world, but I don't live in those, so. Um, so little things like that where we can see this face-to-face, this intimacy kind of thing. Um, the, the idea that God, have you, some of you may have never processed some of this stuff. I, I can't help it. I think about this kind of stuff. I'll build an entire sermons about this, and I'm like, I don't know if that's really preachable, but little things like God put your lips on the front of your face, and for some reason, have you ever wondered why touching lips is such an emotional, physical, sexual thing? Why? I, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying it isn't. I'm not saying I, I'm not in favor. I'm not a fan. What I'm saying is I think that's strange. That's strange. So then when you have sci-fi movies or something, then they try to make them different and they try to 
well, they, you know, these people, th- these two aliens are attracted by touching elbows or something. And you're like, well, I don't, okay, whatever. So, but you understand what I'm saying. Why? But here's the other thing is your lips are right below your eyes. Theoretically, you're looking at the other person. Although we have a habit in Western society, but by the way, this isn't across all societies. We have a habit in Western society when we kiss, we do what? Close our eyes. When, when Linda and I first got married, I was, I was a little concerned about that. I wanted her to open her eyes and look at me while we were kissing. I didn't want her to think it was somebody else. What if she's thinking of Tom Selleck? Yeah, right. He's easy on the eye. I try to remind her all the time. Yeah, he's uh, 77. So there we go. So seek his face. Let's go to some scriptures here. Um, and, and keep in mind what Andy said. This really is, uh, presence and face are, are, they can be interpreted, those are the same word in Hebrew. Um, Uh, let's see, let's go to, I think it's James 4. Let's go to James 4. Some people that are newer to Colorado have been asking me, what's with all these moths? It's called Colorado. Deal with it. And they're not really bad right now. Wait till they get bad. You, you guys think I'm joking. How do you know I'm not joking? They can get so bad. So bad. Okay. But the birds get fat, so there you have it. All right. James chapter 4, verse 7. So humble yourselves before God. Isn't it interesting that so much Scripture starts with that? Humble yourself before God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. So you see the, the, um, the, the polars here. Push Satan away, come close to God. Don't just push Satan away, come close to God. And I would say you could say the opposite is almost as important. Don't just come close to God, push Satan away. Now, I really believe that as you come close to God, you will naturally begin to push Satan away. You can't not. You have to. Sin is not, sin is not compatible in our spirit with the spirit of God. That's why there's this thing. It's not as popular nowadays, but about 15 years ago, it got really strong. Well, For about 10 years in that time frame, it got really strong where there was a lot of teaching being pushed that um, Christians could be uh, possessed by Satan, possessed by demons. No. Jesus himself said a house divided against itself will fall. You can't serve both God and something else. He said money, but you can't serve both God and something else. You, 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 as, you Christians can't be possessed by Satan, okay? You just can't be. You can't be. You can be oppressed. Satan is going to mess with you. Satan is going to mess with you every single second of your day, your life forever. Okay? Sometimes if you allow him to gain some footage, uh, you're going to, you're going to, there's going to be some oppression there in your spirit in, a, in that, whatever that arena is. That's why you have to do 2 Corinthians 10. Bring those thoughts obedience to Christ. Okay? But as you draw closer to the Lord, you will automatically be convicted of sin. You'll automatically want to change things and clean things up. Do away with things. And that's the same concept in marriage. When you're in a, in a marriage relationship, you, you theoretically should not desire other people. I'm not saying Satan won't put the thought in your mind, won't put the temptation there. Satan can do that. But 
But you, if, you're, if you're drawn toward another person, something's wrong with you, not your marriage, not your spouse, whatever. Because somewhere you're allowing your heart to be pulled towards something else. If you're going after your spouse, if you're pursuing your spouse, you grow more in love with them and less in love with any other options, other things, other whatever. You should, that should be, your spouse should be your best friend. Your, your spouse should be your everything, and you should desire to be, you should want to desire to be around them all the time. If you say, I can't stand to be around my spouse, the problem is you. Figure out, Lord, what do I do differently? You say, well, the problem's them too. Sure, if I was having the conversation, if you're both sitting in the room, I just said it to both of you. The problem's you, right? But here's the reality is, Pursue God, pursue your spouse, and you fall more in love with them. You enjoy their presence more. I'm not saying they don't get on your nerves every now and then. I'll tell you something. Just irritated the mess out of me the other day, and I don't know why. It was so small. Lynn and I were watching a movie. We don't do that very often. Linda can't stay awake for an entire movie. So we don't watch movies very often. But we're watching this movie, and finally she says, I've got to pause this. I can't stand it. She pushed pause. How long was it left on the movie? Maybe four minutes. I think it was like three and a half minutes. Three and a half minutes in the movie left. That's all we got. Two and a half minutes, that's credits. She, she paused the movie and I said, what are you doing? I just can't take this anymore. I got to get these clothes off. Goes all the way upstairs, puts on her moo-moo, comes back now. I'm like, you couldn't wait 40 seconds for the end of the movie? It's my, I'm in charge right now. Yeah, she was awake. I should take the little battles. I should, we won a small one there. So I have literally, we've literally been watching movies and Linda will sit there and be going. Like, I'm like, you're taking the fun out of this movie. I don't know. I'm not enjoying it as much with you doing that over there. Come close to God. God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. For your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Guys, that is always our challenge. It's always our challenge. The stuff of the world, building our own kingdom, all this kind of thing. You're always going to be at odds with the stuff of the world. I'm talking a little bit about that Sunday with who Jesus was. But who Jesus is. But the, the, the reality of this is we have to always be saying, the world is only setting me up for failure. The world is trying to destroy my soul. The world is trying to pull me away from Jesus. The world is enticing me. Because why? Satan is the father of this world now under, uh, since the garden. And, and he is a liar. He's the father of all lies. And he's the one that we gave him the authority over this thing. And he's a liar. And so all the stuff... Is going to be now that now we got to be careful because we can't go all the way back to the mentality in, when Jesus when Paul is talking in First Corinthians Second Corinthians he's talking about Gnosticism and he's talking about a couple of things there that that we see that a couple hundred years after that were pretty strong where there was a mentality and this is where the ascetics came from not aesthetics which is visual stuff but ascetics a s c e t i c but the ascetics were a group of people that believed that everything was in, intrinsically evil. That's not what I'm saying. In other words, this chair is evil. So if I want a purified life, I can't own a chair. And these were the people that lived in caves and stuff like that and abandoned themselves from society because everything, everything material was evil. That's not what I'm saying. 
okay? That's not a godly mentality, and those guys were totally wrong. One guy, you, you can read about him. One guy lived on a pole, the top of a pole, for 40 years, never came down. Some stuff came down, but he never came down. But here's the thing. How do you be a witness? How do you be in the world, not of the world? How do you, how do you tell people about Jesus on top of a pole or living in a cave? So ascetics is not what I'm talking about. I don't believe the chair is material because it's material. It's evil. But I do know the things of this world are part of the spirit of Antichrist. And we've got to be careful because here's the funny part is not haha funny, but is that chair could be a downfall for me because as a material thing, I could lift it up above other things and specifically even above God. Right? The chair itself is neutral. But it's what I do with my, in my heart with it. That's why people can live for their bank accounts or live for their, their properties or live for whatever because they've allowed something to take the place of that in their heart. And, and this, this is why he starts off with humble yourself, all this other kind of stuff. We have to understand that the world is constantly trying to pull us away from Jesus. We will be at odds with Jesus if we're comfortable with the world, and we will be at odds with the world if, if we have a comfortable relationship with Jesus, intimate relationship with Jesus. Not everything. I mean, you can still enjoy a good Mexican restaurant with chips and hot sauce. And anybody else with me? Guys, we, we are a persecuted people right now. I'm going to be fighting people in line at Salsa Brava when this thing goes up. I'm going to be telling them to get out. Okay, so verse 9, <clears throat> let there be tears for what you've done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Oops. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourself before the Lord. He starts off with humble yourself, ends. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. And I, and I believe this is the concept behind the, the idea of intimacy, is we have to have, we have to have this, this drawing close, to have a desire to draw close. Let's, let's go to Psalms. The best stuff in all of the Bible about intimacy, most of it's found in Psalms. And part of the reason is because David got this. David got this in a way that just a, a lot of people just never do. People in the Bible, people today, David got this. David, that, that's why when somebody says, give me a picture of, of a real man's man. If you say that, people start saying things like John Wayne, you know, Tom Selleck. But I bet Tom Selleck has hair on his back. What do you want to bet? Just, yeah. But, but here's the thing. When somebody says to me, a man's man, this is what I always think of. I always think of David. There was no greater warrior ever, in my opinion, on the earth. David. Read through the story of his mighty men, the 30 and then the 33 and the 3 and all this other stuff. Read the stories of those guys. These guys gave their entire existence to David. They followed him everywhere. They put him up on a pedestal as the true warrior of all warriors and leaders and kings of everybody. And these guys were some bad mamma jammas themselves. One guy um, chases a, a lion down in a pit and fights a lion in a pit with snow on the ground. That's, and that guy's like, well, you should see David. This, this story, it's a little joke. This always comes to my mind. I'll quicken it up, but it's a long joke. This guy there at a campfire out in the mountains, and this guy comes running up, and, he, and they, they got a pan of bacon cooking there on a, on a fire, and they got a coffee pot, metal coffee pot sitting there and all this stuff, and it's boiling, and this guy comes up and grabs the pan. It's the, the, the grease is bubbling, and the bacon's cooking, 
and he drinks the grease and, and eats the bacon straight out of the pan, grabs a coffee pot, drinks this coffee pot straight off the fire. And these guys are just staring at this guy, and they're saying, and you're, you're a pretty, pretty bad dude. What are you doing? He goes, I'm running for this guy. You don't want to meet him, and he just takes off running. And, you, and you're thinking to yourself, who is this guy following him? This, that's David. David's the man. And, and, and here's the thing. David was one of the most sensitive, worshiping, intimate with God people ever to live. Only other person that I can find that's close to this in Scripture is John. John and David are very similar in that aspect. I don't know if John could win an arm wrestling contest, but, but he was like that, that part of David. David, a warrior. In fact, it even said he was ruddy in appearance. He was a, he was a, he was a fighter. He was a warrior. And he writes this kind of stuff. Psalms 105, give thanks to the Lord, proclaim his greatness. Let the whole world know what he has done. Sing to him, yes, sing his praises. Tell everyone about his wonderful deeds. I grew up in a time frame. It's not like that now, really. It really is not like this now. But when I was growing up, men did not sing in church. You guys know what I'm talking about? You old enough to know that? Men didn't sing because they were men. All the women sang, the men just stood there. If they came to church, they just stood there. And I remember as a kid, being a musician and all this other stuff, and David, man, when I was a kid, David was my hero. And, and I'm thinking, the greatest man I think that's ever been on the earth, not only saying, but saying very intimate stuff, very worshipful stuff. I remember one time Lynn and I were singing a song. We were around some people. We were, this is when the song, um, You Dance Over Me, came out, and we were singing that song. And, and somebody f- from an older generation said, um, the Lord doesn't dance over you. I'm like, yeah, he does. The Bible says it. The writer of that psalm didn't just pull that out of the air. That's straight from Scripture. That the Lord dances over us. But see, for some of us, that's uncomfortable to go there. And part of the reason it was uncomfortable for, for these people to go there is because they were sons of God. <laughs> we, don't, we don't dance. So if we can't dance, God's not dancing. You know, I'm doing that stuff. And then you realize... Dancing came from God. God was the dancer. He made dancing. We didn't create dancing. And then you see guys like David that danced exuberantly before the people. Why? Because it wasn't about the dancing. It was about his God. And he just couldn't express it any other way except dancing. Now, here's the thing. This, This may get under your skin a little bit. Some of you have no idea what I mean when I say that. You cannot express your relationship with God any Differently, you just have to dance. Some of you are like, not me. I've never had to dance. You might want to ask yourself why. Let the Holy Spirit convict you a little bit here. Why? You're telling me you've never got that close to God that just jumping around and shouting out the Lord's name is the only thing you could come up with? Because they did that in the Bible. Actually, quite a bit. And, and you've never gone there? You've never... I mean, think about what I'm saying. We like to draw lines and say, well, no, that's, you know, I've got to just, you know... And, and the David Crowder song, I love the, the, the part of David Crowder's song where he says, um, I'm going to be more undignified than this. Because why? Where does he get that from? David's wife. When David was dancing before the Lord because he just loved God, his wife said, that's not dignified. And David said, 
He says, exult in his holy name. You didn't, you didn't, you didn't read that? Exult in his holy name. Rejoice, you who worship the Lord. Search for the Lord for his strength. Continually seek him. Remember the wonders he has performed, his miracles and the rulings he has given. That's why you worship, because you know what he's done. You children of his servants, Abraham, you descendants of Jacob, his chosen ones. Let me um, go to one extra place here. Let me think which one I want to go to. Let's go to, um, well, let's go to Psalms 24 real quick. And I'm going to end much closer tonight to 815 than I normally do because I don't normally. And um, somebody asked me about it this week. And I had the choice, listen to him or fire him. And so I decided to listen to him. (laughs) 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 Psalms 24, uh, verse. Now, let me go, let me go to, let me go to the other one instead. Let me, let's go to Psalm 63. Because I want to, this is actually one of my favorite little parts of of Scripture where David says something. And this is almost always the Scripture I go to when I'm talking about um, those five words that you have that you worship God with. Those five words, right? Here's just one example of how David was not locked in. There are some things that David says consistently over and over and over through Psalms, consistently. But he says so many other things too that just, you're like, where did you get that? How did that happen? What were you thinking of? Okay, Psalm 63, verse 1. Oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. I love that verbiage. Have you ever said that to God? My soul thirsts for you. I'm not saying you sang it in a song because somebody wrote it. I'm saying from your heart, your mind, you said, Lord, my soul thirsts for you. I need you. I need you more than anything. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. I wonder, I wonder how many people have been in places where it's dry. Spiritually, it's dry. The very first time we ever sang the song here, um, help me out, Dee. Desert song. Very first time we ever sang the song "Desert Song" here was because um, Rick had been really mulling this over in his spirit quite a bit. From being in Afghanistan, I guess it was. Was it Afghanistan or Fallujah or one of those? Afghanistan. Yeah, it was because he sent me that thing from Kandahar. But um, Chaplain Brown was saying this. He said, sometimes the, the ground around you is dry, and then sometimes the spirit around you is dry. And he said, and I've been listening to this song, Desert Song. I've been listening to it a lot. And so uh, we learned it and, and sang it as a church. This was, I don't know, long time, six, six, seven years ago. And we, and we learned it and sang it as a church. And, and to think about, that song meant totally different to him in this setting and maybe uh, the rest of us in our setting. But he was getting it from a physical dry place and a spiritually dry place. That, 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 that we need that. My soul, that I'm, I'm parched and I need you. I have seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. Isn't that a great statement? How I praise you. I will praise you as long as I live, lifting my hands to you in prayer. David wasn't 
embarrassed to lift his hands? Why are we? I think part of the reason is because we lack intimacy. If you, if you don't lack, if, you, if you're intimate with the Lord, is, you're, you're going to be much more concerned with, with worshiping and praising and connecting with him than anybody else. And suddenly lifting your hands becomes a simple little thing. It's a small thing. You satisfy me more than the richest feast. I don't know if we can go there. But I will praise you with songs of joy. I, I, I know this sounds silly and you're going to laugh or whatever, but I really think if I could write a song about this, to me, it would really mean, it would be so silly to everybody else, it wouldn't mean anything. People would laugh. But to me, I would get it. I would write a song like, that would have words like this. You mean more to me than bacon. Crispy fried, burnt around the edges. You mean more than me to, than brisket. With that darkened end on it. So beautiful. I, I know that you're like, what is wrong with you? But those are real words to me. Those are very serious words to me. I cling to you. Your strong right hand holds me securely. I, I love the way that he says this. One of my favorite lines that he says also in Psalms is he says, I'm laying on my bed at night and I worship you, the one that holds the stars in the sky. I lay on my bed and I see the stars and I worship you. I love that little statement. I love that little phrase. I've never said that in my worshiping except when I read it from David. So what's, what's rolling through your spirit? Do you know how to verbalize it? We've been trained that we only verbalize the stuff on the screens. Verbalize something from within. The next time you're taking a hike in the mountains, stop and thank God for that tree. Stop and thank God for that poison oak. I don't know. But stop for a minute and just think, man, God, you made that. And then just talk to him about it. It'll sound weird to you because we're not, we don't think like this in American society. We just don't. All right. So I'm going to stop here. <laughs> don't, don't. <laughs> Jesus will judge you. All right. So, so let, me, let, me, let me put this out here. Let's pray for intimacy. Let's pray for closeness. James, draw close to the Lord, he'll draw close to you. Don't resist it. Don't push away from it. it. It may be a little uncomfortable. It may be a little odd. Don't push away from it. Pray. Seek his face. Get in. Seek his face. Not just pray, but get, seek his presence. That you can sense his presence in your heart, your mind. You can feel. You can physically feel the presence of the Lord, the presence of the Holy Spirit. You can physically feel presence of the Holy Spirit, right? So let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your, your spirit, your presence, your Holy Spirit. We thank you that you do allow us to be close to you. Lord, we don't deserve it. We know that. Lord, you still desire it. You still give it to us. And you want us to draw close to you. You want us to be um, connected with you. So Lord, I pray not just for the people in this room, not just for the people online, but just kind of our church at large. Lord, help us to desire closeness and intimacy and not, not push away from it. Help us to desire the times when we get to sit in your presence and worship you and pray, pray in the spirit and not be afraid of those things, but actually look forward to them, to need them, to be dependent upon those moments. 
And it's not about what song is playing. It's not about the body at large at that moment. It's just, it's just you and me. Holy Spirit, I, I just pray that across this room. I just pray that across every one of our souls and our minds and our hearts. Across everybody online right now. I pray in their living rooms and on their phones, computers, whatever, that, that you just move through our hearts and our minds. Pull us in close. Let us, let us get a glimpse of that breath of God breathing on our spirit. Lord, we thank you for this. We thank you for just the chance, just the opportunity. Lord, help us not to take it for granted and help us not to, to, um, to, to be afraid of it. Lord, we do pray for our country. We continue to pray for all this stuff. Lord, I pray for my parents, all the junk that they're dealing with right now. And uh, Lord, we ask for, for strength in our country, spiritual repentance and strength in our country. Lord, help, this, help, help what we're dealing with right now push people to you. And we thank you for, the, for just the moments ahead of us that we can tell somebody about you. The moments ahead of us that we can be in the middle of your calling. Be who you've created us to be. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. And I have been praying, God, raise up another Ravi Zacharias. We need, we need a man of God like that on the national stage. We've got some great guys out there. I'm not picking on anybody out there. But there was not another Ravi Zacharias. And, uh, and we needed somebody like that on the world stage. All right. So have a rest of your evening. Let it be great. Um, everybody give Josh a big hug for reasons unknown. And uh, we will see you guys Sunday morning. Chosen me, love has.